0: All right, like we like to say here at Calvary, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. And today we make our way back to the book of Revelation. And we are in Revelation chapter 6 this morning as we continue our look through the entire book. We're going to finish today. We'll be out by 5. So I hope you have no plans. Revelation chapter 6. In a message entitled, The Four Horsemen. Our last time in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, we were taken to the throne room of God. And at the end of chapter 5, we watched as Jesus, approaching the throne room, the throne specifically, of God the Father, took a scroll from His hands. A scroll that only Jesus could take. For only Jesus redeemed the fallen creation back to the Father. That scroll was sealed by seven seals. It is those seals that he begins to open this morning. And each seal that he opens, an event on earth takes place. And that brings us to chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Let's begin by reading in verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb had opened one of the seals, that I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that the people should kill one another. And there was a sword given him, a great sword, and when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name on him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. A power was given to them over the fourth of the earth, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. As you can tell, it's going to be an encouraging, uplifting message this morning. Today we begin our look at the seven-year tribulation period that is spoken of throughout the Bible. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, this time is called the times of Jacob's trouble, a time of great distress, the great day of the Lord, and most familiar to us, the great tribulation period. Isaiah in Isaiah 13 spoke of this period of time. Jesus in Matthew 24 spoke of this period of time. In fact, we can make the argument that the last seven years of human history are the most spoke about, spoken about events and time that we find in the Bible. The seven-year tribulation period Now, we as the church, I believe, have been taken from this earth prior to the beginning of this seven-year tribulation period. It is called the rapture of the church. It is when we as Christ followers are taken by our Lord to meet him in the air and to be with the Lord forever. After he does, he then pours out his wrath on those who remain. In a time like never before, a time that has never been seen by human eyes and ever been experienced in human history, a terrifying, awe-striking period of time, a time that I don't wish on my worst enemy. That's why we do what we do, to see as many come to saving faith in Jesus Christ to be spared from this moment in time. As we begin the tribulation period, we we begin by the revealing of four horsemen. They're known as the four horses of the apocalypse. And in each case, a series of events unfolds here on this earth. And as Jesus, we see here in verse 1, begins to loosen the seals that are on the scroll in which he took from the Father's hand, and we explained why and he was able to do so in chapter 5. The four living creatures with thundering voices told John and said, Come and see. And in verse 2, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. The horsemen are found actually first revealed to us in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, when Zechariah records this for us in chapter 1. The purpose of these horsemen are now revealed to us here in Revelation chapter 6. Now, In the first case, the first horseman represents an individual that will be revealed at the beginning of the tribulation period. Because he is riding on a white horse, many suppose that this is Jesus Christ. However, though, Jesus doesn't show up until Revelation 19. And the description of the rider is much different than the rider that we see here. So who is being revealed to us here on the white horse? I believe that it is none other than the Antichrist himself. The white horse meant a symbol or a sign of victory. He is coming At a very specific moment, a moment that we will discover in just a second was predicted by Paul the Apostle in the book of 2 Thessalonians, when the restraining factor was removed allowing for the emergence of the Antichrist here upon this earth. The description of the individual is also very telling. Number one, he has a bow. Now that is different than Jesus who comes back with a sword. And that sword is the sword of the word of God from his mouth, if you read carefully. And he's also, notice here, given a crown. It means that he is given authority by someone of greater authority to do what he is about to do. Does that make sense? So it appears that God is telling us that with the emergence of the Antichrist that he is given a certain degree of power for that period of time to, of course, fulfill the plans and purposes of God. And he's carrying a bow. Now, one commentator made a very interesting observation. He said the absence of a quiver, the absence of arrows, means that he most likely will overcome politically, not by military force, but by political savvy, by peace. And that is consistent with what Daniel says in the book of Daniel concerning the emergence of the Antichrist. John told us very clearly that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work, but he also tells us clearly that we're waiting in anticipation for one called the Antichrist. Now many who read or hear the term Antichrist immediately thinks that it's someone diametrically opposed to Christ. And that is certainly true. But the word anti in Greek can also mean someone in place of. In place of Christ. Remember Jesus said, that you reject me, but when one comes in his own name, him you shall receive. Again, I believe a referral to the Antichrist. Now, who the Antichrist is, if you were waiting with bated breath for me to reveal that to you today, I'm sorry, I don't know who that is. However, though, the Bible has a lot to say about him. Notice with me. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 should be on the screen behind me. Paul writes, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, and that is referring to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period that precedes His coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Wow, I think his intention is clear. He wants to be worshipped as God. Of course, this has been Satan's modus operandi from the very beginning. When he approached Eve there in the garden... He said the reason that God does not want you to eat of that certain fruit is that you will become like God. And here Satan assumes the identity of God and demands to be worshipped as God. But notice what Paul says as he goes on in 2 Thessalonians 2, 5 and 8. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. The Antichrist currently is being restrained from coming to power. For the mystery of lawless one is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, I want to encourage you when you have a moment to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1-12. through You know, just read it now. We'll wait. I ordered in. No, I'm just kidding. There's a lot to be said about the Antichrist. But we as Christians are not looking for the Antichrist. We're looking for Jesus Christ, aren't we? We're looking for his return. I believe that it is clear that the reference here to the restraining factor of the Antichrist is properly identified by the capitalization of the word he. And in this specific case, excuse me, I believe it is referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actively working in and through God's church, God's people, you and I. Remember that when the disciples, after the ascension of Jesus, went to the upper room to pray, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they did miraculous things, and the church began. Now, when will the Holy Spirit be removed? I believe that the Holy Spirit will be removed with the church at the time of the rapture of the church. As the church is removed, the Holy Spirit is removed in the economy in which he is currently working today. In the economy where he is poured upon all flesh who believe in Jesus Christ. Because it is clear that in Revelation chapter 7... The 144,000 selected by God, who I believe are from the 12 tribes of Israel, are sealed. That word sealed, there is the same word in Greek that Paul uses in Ephesians. To represent our sealing with the Holy Spirit as as his possession, it is a guarantee that he is going to come back for his possession and redeem us fully to himself. The Holy Spirit will be actively working in the tribulation period, but in the same economy again that he was working in the Old Testament, and that is identified by the word anointing in the Old Testament. As individuals are anointed with the Spirit. Remember when the Spirit came upon the disciples, Peter made it his point to say to them who asked and to, who questioned and even mocked the experience, saying to them, Look, this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, notice this, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. I believe that the Antichrist will come in and begin to assume power peacefully, politically. For some reason, the world will see him as a necessity. He will have answers to their questions. He will be able to do what no politician before him has ever been capable of doing. Telling the truth, No. <laughs> and he will astonish the world, and he will be embraced by all. Unfortunately, it is a pseudo-peace and safety. For the first three and a half years of this seven-year period, will seem to be a time of peace and safety. But again, it's superficial. For things shall be happening around the people that they just want to turn a blind eye to. And yet it is all moving for that moment that the Bible says, Zechariah tells us that the Antichrist will be assassinated or appear to be assassinated. He will be mortally wounded and on the third day rise again. Let us remember that the devil is never a creator. He's only a counterfeit. And he'll only do what God has already done. And you can imagine the religious fervor that will take place at the moment of his so-called resurrection. You can only imagine what that will be like. Three words to describe the Antichrist is deception, destruction, and death. And we must prepare ourselves. We must prepare ourselves for deception. Folks, we are being lied to constantly, aren't we? We don't even have to wonder anymore. It's hard to know who's telling us the truth and what the truth is. We must now more than ever, this is no longer optional, we as Christians must be critical thinkers and discerning, okay? We need that now more than ever if we are going to stand in these troublesome times. And the only way we can gain discernment is by knowing the Word of God. Now the Word of God won't speak to every situation that we face ourselves with but it always will address the most important ones. And I believe that if we thoroughly know the word of God, then we won't be able to be easily persuaded by the deception taking place within our world. It's the only thing to keep us grounded. And of course, our relationship in Jesus Christ keeps us from that ultimate destruction and death that, of course, is waiting for those who do not know the Lord. And I do not say that with any kind of joy. Again, even God doesn't rejoice over the death of the wicked, but calls them to repentance. But many have argued over the years, especially those who live in America, that how is it possible that one could ever rise to a global status of this nature? How is it possible that the world could actually unite under a one world leader? How is it possible that the United States of America would ever give up that type of sovereignty? Really? The United States of America today is much different than it was 20 years ago, 25 years ago. The sovereignty of the United States of America has been eroded by the various climate accords that have taken place around the world. The international uh, tribunal system wanting to subject the United States to international law above superseding our own constitutional individual law. Just recently, the Biden administration signed away our, pol- our pandemic response, giving authority to the World Health Organization. And they've been so right in the past, haven't they? Oh. Meaning that the World Health Organization can come in and supersede our constitutional rights. The UN tried to impose upon the United States and is still imposing to a degree now succeeding the 2030 Agenda for climate change. But never have I seen a more influential organization emerge than I have in this last two years known as the World Economic Forum. Led by Klaus Schwab that started it back in the 1970s, the number of politically elected officials in the United States of America that have been trained through their leadership program is astonishing. And again, their agenda is very clear. You just need to look at it on their website. Now, do I believe Klaus Schwab is the Antichrist? No, I'm not going that far to say that. But even our president campaigned under the slogan of the World Economic Forum, Build Back Better, right? Each of these cases erodes slowly our sovereignty, each and every one of them. And so for me, though these things are in the work, and we I am not saying that these are going to be the catalysts in which the Antichrist capitalizes upon, but we certainly see things moving in that direction, don't we? As the Bible said 2,000 years ago, proving itself to truly be the Word of God. Today, now more than ever, we need to be discerning individuals. And I know that for many of you, you're growing tired and weary. It seems like we're facing a mountain, right? It seems like it's almost become impossible to correct course. Well, let me reassure you here this morning, our God can remove mountains if he so chooses. Now, let's be honest. God may be dealing with the United States of America in a way that we've never seen before. I don't know for sure. But I do know this, that God is good. And God knows what he is doing. And ultimately, what matters in the end are those standing in his presence saved by Christ, isn't it? it? So we've been praying for revival, but did we ever think what God might have to do to bring that revival about? I remember a pastor who was in the 1930s in England, and he saw that the Christian church was waning in England. Fewer and fewer people attending, fewer and fewer people excited about the Lord, fewer and fewer people coming to the Lord. And he began to pray for revival. And in his writings, he stated, I never really truly understood what I was praying until after the fact. He said, I never took into consideration what God may have to do to get our nation's attention. And he said, that was World War II. Because when the war started, people started coming back to Christ. People started to get hungry for God again. People started seeing their need for God again. Remember, God is always more interested in your eternal glory than your temporal pleasure. Okay? Sure, God loves to bless his kids. But there are other times that he needs to turn up the heat... So he gets our attention and that we come back to him to find that he is there waiting for us with open arms ready to accept us and bring us home. The coming of the Antichrist is the beginning of it all. In verse 3, the second seal is open. And he says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on, the, on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given t- to him a great sword. In the arrival of the Antichrist, soon world conflict emerges. As he begins initially with peaceful political conquest, It then turns into chaotic, confused conflict through world domination through military means. Peace has been removed, a large sword has been given, and war breaks out around the world. So many of us are focused in on the Russian-Ukraine conflict, and many are asking questions, what's really happening over there? Where's all of our money going? these are good questions to ask. You know, the government isn't, they don't generate revenue themselves. It's taxpayer money. And when they need money above and beyond the taxpayers, they turn on the printers. And after the printers are turned on, then we are hit with inflation. Oh, we don't know anything about that, do we? Again, with their modern monetary theory, they thought they could flood with trillions of thousands of dollars, trillions of dollars, I should say, into our economy, and there wasn't going to be any repercussions. We have repercussions now, don't we? Eggs are now $42, and you have to finance them over four years. (laughs) It's getting a little crazy, isn't it? However, though, let us know that currently, there are 31 military conflicts going on around the world today. Did you know that? Did you know how unsettled the world actually is at this point? We often don't. We're focused in on one conflict, and we don't even really know what's happening there. We're told told one day Ukraine's winning, the next day Russia's winning, and they need more money, and then Ukraine's winning. And then the people who go over there say, nope, that's not what's happening here at all. Very confusing. But during the time of the tribulation, war will break out across the world. In Mark 13, verses 7-8, through 8, Jesus himself said, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles, and there are the beginning of sorrows. Even Austin went before Congress to ask for a 40% increase in military spending. There are those who believe that we are preparing to resist China and Russia if Taiwan is invaded. Now again, let's see if that happens. But again, how confident are you in our p- current political standing of an encounter with Russia and China? I'm not. But it doesn't end there. Notice with me as the third horse emerges. In verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, come and see." And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it, had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm the oil and the wine. There will be economic chaos in this last seven-year period of time. The Antichrist will capitalize on that economic chaos in Revelation chapter 13, by issuing a mark that must be received by individuals if they look to buy or sell anything, okay? And those who refuse the mark, unfortunately, will go to their death for refusing the mark. That economic chaos will be the bedrock that the Antichrist will capitalize upon, what we're seeing here in our text is a classic case of inflation, where war and, uh, and the arrival of the Antichrist has possibly caused on the earth, as one commentator wrote, a thousand percent increase in inflation. Now we've seen hyperinflation around the world before, haven't we? We've never been touched by it here in the United States in our lifetime. But Venezuela is a perfect example of what hyperinflation can do to a country that pursues socialistic agendas. They were once a crown jewel down in South America, and now they are a mere remnant of what they once were. Inflation is skyrocketing around the world for many different reasons. And that inflation has caused the deterioration of local banks due to their bond purchases. They purchased bonds at very low interest rates. And when those bonds then began to rise, the interest rates began to rise, those bonds became less valuable because they couldn't wait till maturity on those bonds because individuals were taking too much cash. They were taking their cash out of the banking system and causing a run on the bank, you know, uh, Silicon Valley and Signature Bank, etc. And as a result, the banks became, you know, uh, they began to collapse. And as a result now, we have an instability due to what's possibly called the contagion effect, where it begins to permeate bank after bank. Now, this is now It'll be much worse then. For oil and wine, he says, do not harm. And the word there in the Greek means don't even open them because we can't afford it. It's beyond our purchasing ability. And as a result, things become extremely expensive. The economic chaos that we are seeing today is leading certain nations around the world to question their economic positions. There is an emergence of several nations coming together called the BRICS nations. It stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. For many years now, they have been hoarding gold. And they've been doing so because they want to separate and to remove themselves from the necessity of the dollar bill, the American dollar bill. Today, the dollar bill is what's known as the reserve currency around the world. And as a result, the United States of America can continue running in a deficit. That deficit now is over $31 trillion. We can never pay it back. They are hoping that they can lure people in to start interacting economically through the yuan because it's gold back rather than the fiat currency that we have. And does everybody know what's backing the U.S. dollar today? Trust. That's it. It's a confidence game, or some would call it a con. There's nothing behind the U.S. dollar. You just have to have the confidence in the government that is printing that dollar. But that confidence seems to be shaking and waning around the world, doesn't it? If we ever lost reserve currency status around the world, it would change our whole economic climate here in our country. We would not be able to live as we currently live. Now, will that happen or not? I don't know. Will people have enough confidence in China or and in Russia to move? I don't know. Saudi Arabia? looks to be moving in that direction, possibly even looking to replace what is known as the petrodollar. People are taking money out of the U.S. banks and putting them in assets such as gold and silver. France just traded with China for natural gas and for other items, not in the dollar, but in the yuan. I thought France was our ally. Now, is this just a one-off? Some believe that, and that it won't materialize into anything. But all of that being said has now began the conversation for the necessity of what's called CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency. Now, that's a long discussion for another time, but I want to put it on your radar so you can be aware of its possible emergence. And if you think that we have controls now, just think if every single transaction that you do is monitored by the government. Think if our, if our credit score went from economic viability to a social credit score. They're already doing it in China. The unrest that we see will be amplified in the period of the tribulation period. I say this to you not to discourage you, but to encourage you to turn your eyes to Jesus. The world is showing us that it is incapable of providing for us what God can only provide for us. Peace, joy, in troublesome times. It can allow us security in an insecure world by standing on the foundation which is Christ himself. I've been teaching Bible prophecy too long. No, for over 30 years. And I've never seen the world around us such as this. And as a result, let me encourage you to turn to the Lord. Because in the backdrop of this I I should say, as the backdrop falls, it gives us a chance to shine even brighter, and obviously God has us here for a time such as this, and let's see if we can be part of what God is doing to call people back to him. The fourth horse, in verse 7, and when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of a fourth living creature come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Now, it's kind of misleading. It's actually pale green. And the name of him who sat on it was death. The color, some believe, Jewish scholars specifically who are Christians now, believe that the pale green represents the purification of the human body in death. And Hades followed with him, and power was given to him over a fourth of the earth. To kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Meaning, death will be prominent during the tribulation period. I notice what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 14 verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more will will it be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem? The sword and famine and wild beast... And pestilence to cut off man and beast from it. I think of when the Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And it has been appointed to men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And that's what we say, amen and hallelujah too. Doctors and and, uh, scientists around the world are gravely concerned by what they are seeing in in national and global statistics concerning what is known as excess deaths. Today, we are running around the world anywhere between 9% to 20% of excess deaths per nation meaning that these are deaths that are really unaccounted for. We really don't know why this excess, these excess deaths are taking place. And many offer various explanations of why this is occurring. But experts are now asking the question, why aren't we looking into this more? And in some cases, even in Western nations, it seems that the governments are holding back those investigations because they don't want to know what the answer is. These doctors, qualified doctors from Stanford and Harvard, Oxford, etc., are asking these questions, and they're being resisted every step of the way. But he, one said it this way, the rate of excess deaths is so alarming in our world today that... It is amazing to them that no one is asking the questions. But the deaths that even that we experience today is nothing like that will happen in the tribulation period. And yet there are two seals left. The fifth seal is open, no longer identified by a horseman. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was complete. Of course, since the conception of the church, there have been martyrs for the church throughout history, starting with Stephen in the book of Acts. But during the tribulation period, those who dare to be a Christian will have to die for their faith. Most likely, they will be threatened and persecuted and even... um, manipulated into receiving this mark and if they choose not to they will be executed for that rejection but please keep in mind that those who do take the mark revelation says that salvation is no longer available to them that is scary it shows their allegiance to the antichrist and their rejection of jesus christ These are the martyrs that have been killed during the tribulation period, waiting for the finality of it, waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And they will be avenged for the injustice in which they have experienced. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, John writes, he says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, And judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. You know, I have people tell me all the time, when I see these things happen, then I'll know that God is real. And I say to them, look, if you can't live for God now, how are you going to die for Him then? What gives you that confidence? But notice that as the souls are gathered under the altar, many see within it the blood that pooled underneath the altar, now represented by the souls that are pooled underneath it and each one was given a white robe but i think of psalm 94 verses 1 through 7 let me read it for you o lord to whom vengeance belongs o god whom vengeance belongs shine forth rise up o judge of the earth render punishment to the proud lord how long will the wicked how long will the wicked triumph they utter speech and they and speak insolent things And all the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see, nor does the Lord God of Jacob understand. How wrong can they be? One of the reasons that I can put my head on the pillow at night in the weight of the injustice that I see around the world, is that I know that God will hold these people accountable. But I want to be honest with you. As frustrated, as angry as I get by what is taking place around me, and the incredible evil that we see constantly, it is easy to become cold and bitter, and just say, oh Lord, give them what they have coming to them. That's when i got to take a step back. And I have to remember that I was once in their shoes. Oh, I might not have done the things that they have done, but my sins were equally uh, offensive to God as their sins are. And it took the same blood, the blood of Christ, to cleanse me as it is to cleanse them. And I pray for their salvation. I pray for our president. I pray for these who are mutilating children in the attempts of bringing about ha- happiness through transition. I pray for these people. I pray for our nation that can celebrate a trans individual who has just shot and killed seven people. Three of them children. And we're celebrating the one who shot them? Give me a break. All right, now I'm fired up. Okay? Enough, guys, enough. I pray for them. Because if they don't come to Christ, they're going to have to stand before him, and then it's going to be a totally different ballgame. But I pray. Oh, do I pray. In verse 12, and we'll conclude, he says, I looked, and then he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun Uh, Became black as saffcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth. As a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the skies receded as a scroll when it was rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every freeman hid themselves in caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and from the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and John asks a question, and who? Is able to stand? The answer is no one. No one in and of themselves is able to stand in the presence of a holy God. I know that this may concern you because you had this idea that Jesus is loving, oh, and he is. That he's merciful, oh, he is, absolutely. And He loves to show mercy. He loves to show grace. But we need to come to Him and believe by faith in Him. Oh, He is compassionate. He seeks those whom are lost. He welcomes with open arms anyone who will come to Him. And by doing so, do you realize that you escape the wrath in which John is referring to here today? Why do you escape that wrath? Because that wrath was poured out upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. As he hung there on the cross in those hours of darkness, the wrath of God was being poured out upon him for the sins of each and every person, the sins of the world. And if we will come to Christ and discover the love that he has for us, discover the peace that he can give us, discover the joy that he can uh, uh, encourage us with, the forgiveness to wash away our guilt, our stains of sin, to make us white as as it's written in the Old Testament, though our sins were as scarlet, now they can be as white as snow. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't want anyone to experience this. And when individuals say to me, how could you ever follow a God who is so vengeful and wrathful? I have to say to them, what more do you want God to do than to send His Son on your behalf? To be brutalized and crucified by His own creation, that you may be saved. How many would be willing to allow their child to suffer and to be sacrificed in that way? That you may be saved, that you may be forgiven. All you need to do is come to him and this will not fall upon you. Why? Because he's already taken care of it at the cross. And this is why we can say, thank you, Abba, Father. This is why we can rejoice. This is why we can have hope. This is why we can have peace. Hey, things might be, get, might be getting even more difficult than they are. I wish I could tell you it's going to get better. But I can tell you this, that whatever happens next, God is already aware of. And he is, has us here for a time such as this. And I want to be part of what God is doing, don't you? Because when things get crazy and get chaotic and get difficult, that's when God seems to step up into the plate and you just stand back and watch what God will do. You know why? Because He loves you. And He saved you. That you may escape the wrath that is to come.